0: I just want to go ahead and forewarn you, Um, I went along in the first service, Uh, sermon was a a little bit lengthy, and as I was uh, walking out of the service, my friend over here, who's supposed to be my partner in crime, who no longer will be my friend, because he sent me this picture right here, Why, why don't you look at this picture that he sent me. Uh, so Steve will no longer be working on the security team after. Uh, sorry, dog over here, man. It's true, though. It's true. We might hit a hostage situation this morning here because I think the Lord wants to say something to you this morning. Uh, so here's here's the truth. Th- this sermon's going to be a little bit unusual because God is wanting me to share with you something that He's put on my heart and on the leadership's heart. Uh, that is going to tie into one of the characteristics of Jesus. I was actually going to preach like at the beginning of April, and the Lord asked me to bring it down here to this particular Sunday because it ties into something He's inviting us all into as the people of God. And, and I'm actually going to be sharing this message with you, and then don't get too excited about this. I'm going to be gone for five Sundays in a row after. it. Now, before you all applaud and get all happy, I'm going to be gone for five Sundays. Just know I haven't gone anywhere Lord, would stop it, Steve. Stop! He, he's applauding over there. That's the same dude who put the picture up there. I, I'm going to be gone because I'm going to be casting this vision that I'm sharing with you today, this thing that the Lord is inviting us into. This morning, I, I spoke in the chapel, and then I'm here at this 11 o'clock service. Next Sunday, I'm going to be at the 930 service preaching in Spanish, and then over at the 11 o'clock Spanish service at Grand Prairie. And then the next Sunday, I'm going to do the English service at Grand Prairie, and then over to the South Oaks campus at 11 o'clock so that I have a chance to share with the entire congregation what the Lord is, is putting on my heart. Then after that, I'm going to be uh, taking a, a mission trip to Central Asia with the high school seniors to see God's work with a place where the church shouldn't be growing, but it's growing. And I'm super excited about that. Y'all can be praying for me for that. And then after that, we have our annual Serve the City Day where we're going to be gathering together with all of our campuses at the Levitt Pavilion on a Sunday morning. And then we're going to, we're going to have a rally a celebration, and then we're going to go out and serve the Mission Arlington churches in the apartment complexes. And so you're going to have five Sundays without this sorry dog speaking into your life. But the reason I don't want you to get too excited is because after that, you're not going to be able to get rid of me. There's so many sermons in a row that I'm preaching because we're on a dead sprint toward Easter Sunday and getting our hearts ready for it. But, But this morning, I have to share with you something the Lord has put on my heart because it is something that I think... If if we don't understand as a church body, we're missing what God is doing this particular year. Last summer, as a leadership team, we we were fasting and praying like we do every single summer. You guys who've been around for a while know about this. I share with you that our leadership is based on prayer, not just us trying to figure out a good strategy. So every summer we get away and we pray and we seek the Lord. And and as we were reading the Gospels and, and praying and seeking God, he began to clarify for us some areas of emphasis for this particular year. And he clarified it over the course of the end of the summertime with our lead team as we were praying and seeking God, three areas of emphasis. This morning is really going to focus on one of them, but I want you to know all three of them. So the first one is that he called us to be a shepherded church, the second one, a hybrid church, and the third one, a praying church. Now each of those need a little bit of explanation, so just real briefly let me walk you through this. I believe the Lord, first one, is calling us to be a shepherded church this year, which means that we are caring for the flock, that there's not a single person who's a part of this church who feels lost and uncared for and forgotten. This is a big church. It's hard to do that, which means we're going to be challenging our community groups to reach out to the the people that God has put in that community group to make sure that none of them start to isolate themselves and, and kind of wander away where they become easy prey for the enemy. We're going to make sure that we're connected in community. Also, we're going to make sure that those who aren't connected have people, pastors and deacons, who reach out to them to make sure that they're still connected. So we're doing a lot of effort to make sure that we're a shepherded church, that every single one of you is known and cared for. The second one that I mentioned was that we're a hybrid church. You go, what in the world does that mean? It means that we realize now we have two identities as a church. We are a church that meets in person, and we are a church that meets online. That's why every Sunday you hear me talk to a camera because Across from that camera, there are many of you watching online right now. You are a part of this congregation through the ministry that God has done. And there are so many new people who are part of our congregation because of our online ministry that we have. And the Lord has told us, as the pandemic winds down and changes over into an epidemic stage and all, it's not like God said, okay, well done, you did your digital thing, now you're done with it. He's saying that forevermore, our identity is we have in-person gatherings, we will always have in-person gatherings, and we're going to have online ministry. And we're going to continue this, so that the world may know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are planting churches right now all over Latin America. There are people literally all over the world who are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ through these ministries that we have. And God is saying, I want you to continue them. And so we'll continue to produce in-person and online services so the gospel can extend. The third thing, though, hey, praise God, amen, I agree with you. Third thing, though, that the Lord wants us to do, and this is the most important one for this morning, is the Lord is calling us to become a praying church. Now, that's a real specific terminology. I didn't say he's calling us to be a church that prays. He's calling us to be a praying church, and there's a difference, subtle, but there's a difference. I'm not saying that we've never been people of prayer. We, we do pray around here. I, t- I talk to you often about our prayer retreats. We have one coming up soon where we're gonna pray and fast and seek the Lord. We have seasons, the Lenten season. Every year we have times of praying and fasting and seeking the Lord. We pray around, we have prayer efforts and things that we do, but I think the Lord is saying, I want you to be a church Fueled by, defined by, and driven by prayer. That when you think about Fielder church, you go, I don't know much about it. I just know that those people pray. Like that's what it means to be a praying church. And if I were being honest with you, I haven't really led us to be that kind of church. And I think the Lord is saying it's time to change. I believe the Lord is inviting us into a season of unprecedented prayer because he, wanna manif- he wants to manifest his power in unprecedented ways, ways like he never has before. And he wants us to prioritize prayer as a church body. Because if you look at the life of Jesus, you're going to see that's what he prioritized. This whole sermon series is called Like Jesus. If we're ever going to be like Jesus, I guarantee you, we will be people of prayer. In fact, that's the sixth characteristic as we're going through this. Now, we're we're hitting up that. The halfway mark now, we've got 12 of them. This is the sixth one. I'd love for you to write it down. This is a very important one. Jesus made his relationship with the Father his number one priority. Write that down. Jesus made his relationship with the Father his absolute, most important, number one priority. There was nothing in his life more important than his relationship with the Father, which was demonstrated through prayer. It does not take you long. I encourage you to read through the four Gospels with this kind of mind and just see how many times it says Jesus slips away to pray. Over and over and over again. Which, remember now who this is. This is God in the flesh, and he kept slipping away to be with His Father over and over and over. Now, we're going to be looking at a number of Scriptures. If you can see this, anytime you see that many tabs, that means we're going to be all over the place. So if you're on your phone, don't be playing games. Be looking at the Scripture. If you've got a real Bible, get, it, get ready for it to start smoking because we're going to move around. We're going to start in Mark chapter 1. That's the second book in the New Testament, Gospel of Mark chapter 1. In a moment, we're going to read verse 35, but I need to give you a little context as we step into it. So already by Mark, 30, by Mark chapter 1, Jesus has entered into the city of uh, the village of Capernaum. He went; It's on the Sabbath day. He's gone into the synagogue, and he's just healed a man who had an unclean spirit. In other words, he was, he was demon-possessed. Jesus cast out the demon. Then right after that, after the, the synagogue service was over, he goes over to Peter's house, and there's Peter's mother-in-law. She's got a fever, and Jesus heals her of the fever. So word is spreading around this little village of Capernaum, but it's Sabbath, and people can't travel on the Sabbath. But as soon as the sun goes down, It says the entire village converges upon Peter's house, bringing all their sick and their demon-possessed. And so Jesus starts to heal these people. Now, mind you, he does not even start to do his ministry until the sun has set. So it's already late. And it says he heals many who were sick and demon-possessed. Doesn't tell us how long this took, but it likely took hour after hour after hour of healing people. Doesn't tell us what time he finished, but there's no, no doubt whatsoever. It was well past midnight could have been one, two, three in the morning where he's still doing this type of healing ministry for the people who are gathered together. And just when you think Jesus would be bone tired, like God doesn't have a, an ounce of energy left, he was gonna sleep in like a teenager till about 1 p.m., look at what he does in verse 35. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. When it was still dark... Again, we don't know exactly what time he went to bed, but he was late. So presumably he only got just a few, two, three, four hours of sleep. And he gets up before the sun even comes up so he can go out to a desolate place and pray. Do you want to know why? He was more desperate for the Father than he was for sleep. Can we be honest? This is not how you and I approach prayer. If we're up late, the first thing that goes bye-bye is our quiet time and our time of prayer. And we think, you know, I'll be real grumpy. I won't really know anything. My mind will be foggy. I need my sleep, whatever. Whatever excuse we'll come up with. But Jesus shows us a different pattern. When he is just overwhelmed with exhaustion, the thing he most needs is time with his daddy. He pursues the father when he's exhausted. What's interesting, though, this didn't just happen this one time. It happened over and over. It was habitual. In fact, I want you to skip over to the next book of the Bible, the Gospel of Luke. I want you to go to chapter 5. I want you to listen to these two verses here and look at the pattern. Luke 5, verses 15 and 16 says this. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, you you can't see it in the English Standard Version that I'm reading from. The, The Greek version is talking about a continuous action. Literally, it says, and he was constantly withdrawing to desolate places to pray. In other words, it was habitual. Over and over and over, the more the crowds pressed around him, the more he slipped away to a desolate place, and he would pray and seek his Father. And, and these weren't just little bitty short prayers, like he would get in there, give, give God a little five-minute time in the morning. This was all-night kind of prayer. So skip over to the next chapter, chapter 6. He's about to pick his, his 12 apostles. Listen to what it says in verses 12 and 13 of Luke 6. It says, "In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night..." He continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them the 12, whom he named apostles. So he's about to make the most momentous decision of his life the 12 people who were gonna be his inner group, the ones who would lead the charge when he was gone, and he doesn't know who to pick. Remember, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God, and he doesn't know who to pick. He has to spend the entire night talking with his daddy before he hears from his father who he's supposed to pick. That's the kind of prayer. Jesus did over and over and over again what's interesting though this isn't the only time he prays through the entire night there's another time that he prays through the entire night one of the most poignant moments of his life it's in the garden of Gethsemane only to flip over to Luke chapter 22 we're going to find verse 39 in a moment but just just in case you're not familiar with the Bible story let me tell you what's going on in Jesus's life he's entered in Jerusalem he knows he's on his way to the cross and he doesn't want to go there he doesn't want to enter into that, that suffering. And he's in anguish in this moment, just in pain because he knows what's coming. And one of those is the cross, the, the most brutal form of execution imaginable among humanity. And he knows what he's heading toward. But to be honest with you, that's not the thing he's most anxious about. The thing that's creating the most angst in him is he knows he's about to be separated from his father whom he has not been separated from, from all eternity before that moment. And he can't even conceive of being separated from his father. And he knows he's stepping into that. And he is in complete anguish. And what do you think he does when he's in anguish? What he'd done over and over and over again. He comes to prayer. Look at it. Verse 39 of Luke 22. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. He got down on his knees. Jesus, God in the flesh, gets down on his knees and prays because he's in anguish. And let me tell you, this wasn't just any kind of prayer. This wasn't a safe, tame little prayer. Listen to how anguishing, how painful that prayer was. If you keep going to verse 42 he said father if you are willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him and being in agony he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground he's praying in anguish in agony in suffering crying out to the father because he's desperate for the father now i didn't give them this the scripture to put up on the screen but let me just read it for you it's hebrews 5:7 It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. I don't know if any of you in here have ever prayed with loud cries and tears. My guess is if you have, it was because you felt like something was out of control. The only times I prayed with loud cries and tears is if something tragic had happened and I'm asking God to intervene. That's when I scream out to him. Jesus, the son of God, comes before his father in loud cries and tears because he is utterly helpless without his father and he needs his daddy to intervene. This is such a huge point to prayer that I think we miss. We look at Jesus and we go, well, yeah, of course Jesus could pray differently because he's Jesus, he has a power I don't have. But if he were like me, then you know, it'd be different. But what I want you to recognize is Jesus actually had no power apart from his father. Don't don't take my word for it. I want you to flip over to the Gospel of John. Now we're moving to the next book. Chapter 5, verse 30. Some of the most powerful words that we skip over every single time we read the Gospel of John. Chapter 5, verse 30 says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. First words right there. I can do nothing on my own. God in the flesh says, I can do nothing on my own. Now, there are people, I think, who wrongly limit this particular passage, and they say, well, no, he's only talking about he can't do his own will. He, he can only do the will of the Father, which, by the way, is true. But the reason that's true is because he knows he doesn't have any power apart from his Father, and therefore he has to obey the will of the Father in order to receive the power of the Father. If you were to go over to Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of man. This is the the cruelest aspect of the incarnation of God taking on flesh. He emptied himself of his divine power. So when he is on earth, all the miracles that you read about and hear about happen from the Father through the Holy Spirit inside of him. This is why, interesting, maybe this has confused you before, why every once in a while Jesus is walking and it says he felt power leave him. And what do you mean power left him? was because Jesus didn't have inexhaustible power any longer on earth. He had to constantly receive fresh power from the Father through the Spirit, which is why he constantly went over to pray. He could actually feel the power releasing from him because he received fresh power again and again. Let me tell you why that matters. If that's true of Jesus, it means that you and I have the exact same access to power that Jesus did. In other words, we can do the same miracles and see them played out as Jesus did. Now, if you think I'm getting out of line, then again, don't take my word for it. Flip over to John 14, verse 12. Again, profound words that we can just flip right over as we're reading through the gospel. John 14, 12 says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, when Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, If you keep on reading in chapter 15 and chapter 16, you'll realize the context of that is he's saying, this is good news that I'm leaving you because when I leave, the helper, who is the Holy Spirit, will come to you. And when I leave, you receive the same source of power that I have. And he says, you can do the same works that I'm doing. Actually, you can do even greater works because you're going to be on earth longer than I was on earth. I've got these three years to do this ministry, but you're going to be here even longer. And you have the same source of power the same Father through the same Spirit that can cause you to do just as much, if not more, than I've done when I'm on earth. What Jesus is doing right here is just completely transitioning the way we view power. We have access to the miracles of Almighty God. All it requires is helplessness and faith. You look back at Jesus, and you'll see again and again he was helpless. And here's what I can guarantee you. There are times when you pray when you feel helpless, and those are the most beautiful prayers you will ever pray. Helplessness is actually a prerequisite for prayer. Prayer, by definition, is a declaration of helplessness. It is me saying, I can't solve this. Almighty God, I'm looking to you. Do something. Prayer is a sign of helplessness, but it's also a sign of faith. It's saying, I'm helpless to do something, but God, I believe you can do something, and so I'm turning to you. And if you have helplessness and faith, then it doesn't matter how much theology you have, how how beautiful sounding your prayers are or aren't. There's power in that prayer. The number one reason I hear people say they don't pray is they tell me I don't know how to pray. I, I hear it all the time. Like I, I would, but I don't. I don't know how to pray. It wouldn't, it wouldn't. I don't. I don't have enough training. I, you know, I, people they're better prayers than me. Like I'm just not good at praying and. God won't answer because I wouldn't know what to say, and I want to correct that this morning because this is so incredibly important for us. In in fact, I I didn't have them make a slide for this because God keeps changing the sermon every single moment I, I walk on. But this particular thing I would love for you to memorize, write down, get to know. Here's what it is: It is not the quality of your prayer that matters; it is the quality of the one to whom you pray that matters. I want you to get that. I'm going to say it one more time. It is not the quality of your prayer that matters, how good it sounds, how perfect it is. It is the quality of the one to whom you pray that matters. And those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we are praying to the infinite God, and there is nothing our God cannot do. I heard probably the best illustration about this as I was reading a book on prayer, and it, it compared prayer to a light switch. So if you think about a light switch, when you, when you walk into a room and you flip on the light switch, the light comes on. Now it looks like that light switch is generating the power for the light. I mean, it just looks like it because you flip it and the light comes on. But if you know anything about electricity whatsoever, then you know that light switch does not generate any bit of power at all. All it does is connect the bulb to the power source. It closes the circuit so that the power source can come to the bulb and turn it on. And this this gentleman who wrote this book said, this is what prayer is. It is not the the prayer type that matters any more than it's the switch type that matters. So let me go ahead and tell you, if you have a gold-plated light switch that is made of ivory and has embedded diamonds that cost $1,000, or you have a 39-cent light switch from Lowe's, as long as they connect you to the power source, they both deliver light to the bulb. In the same way, it doesn't matter if you just moan and groan when you're praying because you don't even know what to say. Sometimes that's the Spirit praying for you. Or it doesn't matter if you have King James English, oh, that wood thou Lordest moveth on my behalfeth, or something <laughs> crazy like that. It doesn't matter how polished or unpolished your prayer is. All that matters is the faith to believe that you're connecting to the source of power. And that's good news for every single one of us in this room because truth be told, none of us know how to pray the way we ought. But but as I was chewing on this, the Lord kept giving me more and more insights into this imagery of the light bulb. Because there's another thing fascinating about light bulbs. You can connect to the, the same power source but produce a very different kind of light based on the wattage of the bulb. You, you can have, a, maybe you have like hanging patio lights, little 15-watt bulbs in them. And it's receiving that the same 120 volts coming to it, but each little lamp only produces 15 watts. And, and then you can have a 150-watt bulb in a lamp, and it's the same power coming into it, but it produces a totally different light. And I think the Lord has just shown me this is the quality of our faith If you want to see the power of Almighty God, it doesn't depend on the quality of your prayer, but it does hinge on your faith. If you do not have much faith, you will not see much power from God, even when you connect with him. I mean, look at Jesus, his pattern. He says in his own city in Nazareth, he couldn't do many miracles because the people there didn't believe in him. But then you go to other places and you see people who have faith, a centurion soldier who says, you don't have to be there, just say the word and my servant will be healed and God does a miracle. If you have faith in who God is, and you come to him helpless, saying, God, I need you, you will begin to see the power, the bright light of Almighty God. You just connect to him with faith. But then there was another thought that was actually pretty sobering that the Lord brought to me. It actually came to me as I was praying on Sunday morning here in this room. And it was the thought of of a light bulb, and going back to the incandescent light bulbs when when there's a filament out. So you, you do recognize, like when you walk into a room, and let's say it's a closet, and you have a little 60-watt incandescent bulb in there, and you flip the light on. If the light doesn't turn on, the first place you go isn't to the electrical panel to see if there's something wrong with the breaker. The first thing you do is you unscrew the light bulb, and you shake it. You want to hear, is the filament broken? And you know, normally they go, Kh-h-h-h-h-h-h-h. you know, the filament's broken. You get a brand-new light bulb, you screw it in, and it'll, Boop, it'll turn on. Because nine, 90 times out of 100, it's going to be, just a filament that's out. You've got to replace the bulb. And I think sometimes we don't take the same wisdom when it comes to prayer. There are some of you in this room, there are some of you watching online, and I know it. You have prayed so many prayers that have been unanswered. You see no power in your prayer. You see no result of the work of God. And you are going back to the power source to see what's wrong with the power source. You're going, all right, uh, there's something wrong with the breaker here. Something wrong. There's something wrong with God. Either he doesn't care about me or he's not powerful enough to do something or he's not listening. There's something wrong with God because my prayers aren't being answered. And the place we should start isn't back at the power source. It's in the heart. We should be checking the filament inside us because the Word of God tells us that because of our own sin and rebellion against God, our souls are broken. The filament inside is not working. And we can pray and pray and pray and pray. We can try to connect to the power source. But if we're dead inside, we will produce no power of God. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he is in the business of redemption. That he takes the broken filament out and he puts in a brand new one that works a new heart and a new spirit. And he he revives us back to life so that now when we pray and connect to the power source, our lights shine and we begin to see the power of God in our lives. So if you are not seeing the power of God, the first place you need to ask yourself whether it's right or wrong is inside your heart. Have I come to faith in Jesus Christ yet? Jesus Christ died on a cross so that we could be reconnected with the Father. He rose from the dead to repair what's broken inside of us. We just have to ask him to. Say, repair my body, repair my soul. And then we begin to see the power of Almighty God. You see, I believe God wants to show you his power I'm so excited about how God wants to move among us. If we would just approach him helpless and with deep faith, hearts redeemed by an almighty God. And that's why I believe in this particular season right now, God is calling us to make prayer just as much a priority in our church, in our lives, as it was for Jesus when he was on this earth. And I believe one of the chief ways he's going to do that is by calling us as a church body to gather together together for weekly prayer. Ever since last summer, when we were talking about what it means to be a praying church, I knew at some point God was going to call us as a church body to gather together for weekly prayer, to, to call our, the, the flock together at each one of our campuses to cry out to God in prayer so we can begin to see the miracles of Almighty God. And I believe God is telling us that's what, he, that's what He's inviting us into, As we prayed as a leadership team, we believe the Lord has told us that we're supposed to gather together on Wednesday nights, and we're supposed to pray from 6.30 to 8 p.m. as a church body. Now, some of you may have a memory of a prayer gathering that is not what I'm talking about. So there's some of you kind of old school church where it's like, okay, prayer meeting means you hear a sermon for 30 minutes, you share prayer requests for like 20 minutes, and then you pray for maybe five to 10 minutes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us gathering together in this room and having Scripture read over us and then responding in faith as we get on our face and we pray, as we fill the altar with prayer, as we break up into groups and cry out to God, as we worship God and then pray some more, as we seek ministry as people are being prayed over around the room, as we cry out for the lost, as we pray for the needs in our community and the needs of the people who gather together. And I believe that when we start to do that, we're going to begin to see the miracles of Almighty God. And these Wednesday prayer gatherings, I believe, are going to be for everybody, not just the super righteous who knows how to pray well, because remember what I was saying, it's not the quality of your prayer, it's the quality of the one to whom we pray that matters. And so we can come in here with all our brokenness and find the power of God. All that matters is we connect to Him, and God is inviting us to do that. And I believe we are going to start to see profound miracles in here on Wednesday nights where marriages are going to be healed because we cry out to God together, where people will be healed from cancer because we cry out to God and pray over them. Where people are going to have wayward children re- return back to the Lord because we cry out and pray for them. Where you have friends and neighbors and family members who have rejected Christ their whole life and they're going to come to you and say, I don't know what's going on, but I need Jesus because we're going to be praying for them. I believe we're going to start seeing the power of Almighty God because we're going to gather together and pray. And I want to challenge you to come do that. I want to, ca- I want to challenge you to start praying with us now, because it's on Wednesday night, I, I knew that we have here on the Pioneer Campus, we have Wednesday night programming. So I knew it was going to take some time to transition over to where we can have these prayer gatherings. As I was praying about this, the, just recently, I, I felt like the Lord telling me that it's, it's, it's something that we should prioritize because God is actually waiting to pour out his blessing upon us when we gather together to pray. So I, the last December or so, I felt the, the Spirit of God invite me to pray for something that he's never invited me to pray for before, mainly because of my own flesh, my own brokenness. I have never, over the five years of being lead pastor of this church, prayed for numerical growth in this church, which may sound odd to you because shouldn't the pastor be most concerned the church is growing? But I couldn't pray the prayer with a pure heart mainly because I think I would take, I I would let it be an ego trip. trip. I would take credit for it. Because who doesn't want to be the pastor who steps up and the first five years of, the, of their pastor, the church explodes and grows and I'd be so busy patting myself on the back, I'd, my elbow would break. God knew it. And so instead of allowing the church to explode when I became the lead pastor, he brought a pandemic so we would have less people in the room now than we did when I first started five years ago. But let me tell you what I believe, the reason why God wanted to do that. Because God has invited me to ask for the first time to, to pray for growth Because I believe God is saying, now everyone's going to know, Jason, it has nothing to do with you. Because you're going to have the same lame preacher up here every single Sunday preaching. We're going to have the same ministries, the same staff, the same basic things that we do around here. Nothing's going to change except for one thing. We are going to pray like we've never prayed before, and therefore we're going to see God move like we've never seen Him move before. And everyone's going to know to God be the glory, not to anybody else. And so I, I feel God right now saying, I'm inviting, I'm calling you into this. Gather the church together to pray. But again, I know it takes time to transition to this. So as I was praying just the other week, I, I, just a couple of weeks ago, I, I was asking the Lord to bless it because it felt to me like fall was gonna be the right time to launch this. Give us enough time to, to make the transitions we need with all that's taking place on Wednesdays and everything will be great. And, and, and as I'm praying, it was an immediate impulse. I, I felt the Spirit saying, why are you waiting to the fall? Start gathering together the church to pray. I told you I'm ready to move now. Gather to church to pray. And, and so I, I received that rebuke from the Lord. Okay, falls too long. Yes, sir. I, um, I know when I can move it up to. I have a prayer series planned for us after Easter. It's going to be about a five to six week prayer series. And so I thought, okay, this is going to be where I can, I can call the church, teach on prayer for a few weeks. And then the last Sunday is going to be called a jump ahead and let's start praying together weekly. As a church body, still give me enough time to work with leadership and get where we need to get to. And then I'll challenge them to pray. And I felt like the Lord saying, why are you waiting to the end of a prayer series to start gathering the church to pray? So in my wisdom, I said, okay, I'll do it at the beginning of the prayer series. It's the Sunday after Easter we'll start. And I felt like the Lord saying, why are you waiting to the Sunday after Easter to gather the church together to pray? And, and i got to be honest with you. This time I'm getting rather frustrated with the Lord while I'm praying. Because he just doesn't understand the leadership journey that it's going to take. Like, this is where my brain is processing, right? So finally, I changed my tactics, and I did what I should have done from the beginning. I said, Lord, then when do you want me to start this? Right? As you pray, guys, go ahead and start with that one. Lord, what would you like me to do? And I felt like the Lord saying immediately, I've already given you the time to start. You have a Lenten season coming up. We already have fasting and praying taking place all over this church, except typically when we fast and pray and we gather together to pray, there's only about 30 to 50 people who gather together at this campus to pray out of the thousands. And I think the Lord is saying it's time to gather the church together to pray. Now the Lenten season is coming upon us. March 2nd, we're going to have a Lenten service right here in this room. And we're going to, it's going to be a time for me to to help us enter into the Lenten season as we prepare for Easter Sunday so that our hearts are ready. And It'll be a season of, of fasting and praying and seeking God. And then On March 9th, I'm calling the church body, those who are able to, to gather together and to pray. Now, I know immediately your first question is, if you have something on Wednesday night, what does that mean for us? I've been working with the leadership, and and what we know is we may not be able just to to transition the ministries as quickly as we would want to. Some of them are going to take a little bit of time to to finish out what they're doing or to work it with every single person who's a part of that ministry to make sure that they're cared for and shepherded and that we don't hurt them in the process of gathering together to pray. And so we're taking time, working with the leaders to figure out what that looks like. Some groups will be able to transition very quickly. They can move to a different time or whatever, and they'll be able to come to our prayer gatherings at the beginning. Others, because of the nature of the ministry, are going to take longer for them to be able to transition over to, and that's fine. We want everybody to be cared for. But the Lord has been speaking clearly to say, "I, I don't want you to wait to get everything figured out. I don't want you to wait to get all your ducks in a row. I want you to gather those who are willing and able, starting on Wednesdays, and then as this moves on and as more and more people are able to be a part of it, then watch the church grow as they pray and watch what I do when I answer. And so that's what I'm inviting you to. And I, I know you'll have questions and I don't have time to give you all the answers to it, but just some small things for you. First of all, it's, it's going to be uh, children will not be a part of the prayer gatherings on a regular basis because it's going to be geared primarily toward adults as we gather together and pray. So we're still going to have our children's ministry taking place on Wednesday nights, and we're going to incorporate more prayer into what the children are doing. Right now, it seems like with the students, they'll continue to meet on Wednesday nights, and then from time to time, come join us for the prayer gatherings that we have so that we can help instruct and teach them in prayer. But for the rest of us, those of you who don't have activities on Wednesday nights, who have not been coming, I want to encourage you immediately. The Lenten service be here March 2nd, and then by March 9th, And we're praying until the Lord tells us to stop, and I'm praying it's not for years that he tells us to stop, that we just keep gathering together on Wednesday nights, crying out to Almighty God, seeing the miracles of God. And I'm asking you to say, not for the person sitting next to me, not for the seasoned saints alone, but for every single one of us who believes in Jesus Christ, that we would say, and even if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, to come see the power of God so you can come to faith in him, to gather together from 6.30 to 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, starting on March 9th. I believe God is calling us to the season. And listen, if you're watching online and you don't live locally, we're going to have an online expression of how you can pray and join what we're doing. Because we believe all of us should gather together and pray. And you'll hear more about that in the days ahead. But those of you who are able to, whether you are live in the, the, the community, in the DFW area, or you're here in this room, I'm encouraging us to make it a priority. Because I believe God wants to move among us. So I know you have other questions about it. We're going to be There's a video that's going to go out this afternoon so the whole church body can know about this. But I'm inviting you to come see the miracles of God as you connect to the source of power. But as I was praying through this, there's one thing the Lord made heavy on my heart. I don't think the Lord wants us to wait till March 9th to begin to see His power. I believe this morning He wants us to begin to see His power. And I was walking around the room. I told some of the guys this morning, I I don't know what the Lord is calling me to. I was going to wait till this moment to figure out what God wants us to do to respond. And I believe he's, he's given me instructions on how to lead us in this time of prayer. So we're going to do something that we, we don't normally do around here. We are going to, I'm going to invite you if you have a particular need and you're willing to say, God, I'm helpless in this area of my life. And I don't know what it is. Could be, it could be a financial struggle It could be a a wayward child, a a relationship that's broken, a marriage that's on the rocks. It could be a work situation. I I don't know what it is. But you have some place in your life where you feel like you're overwhelmed. In a moment, I'm going to ask you, not yet, but in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And then when you do, I'm going to ask the people who are around you to turn around towards you and to pray for you. To actually put their hand on your shoulder and to pray for you. Now, if you are willing to do so, then I encourage you to share what your prayer request is to the people around you. Now, there may be some of you going, this is really private. I don't know how I feel about sharing it with you. We have a Baptist code around here that says unspoken. So all you have to say is, I have an unspoken prayer request. And every good Baptist knows that you're just not supposed to pry anymore. So if you, if you stand up to your feet and you're going, okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready to share what this is. I just need prayer. Then you can say, I, I have an unspoken request. And then if you're standing around them, just put your hand on them and pray for whatever the Spirit prompts you to pray over them. For God's peace, for God's power, for God's move, whatever it may be. But we're going to minister to each other this morning. And the only requirement that you have is that you believe in Jesus Christ. It just requires faith. Remember, it's not the quality of the prayer. It's the quality of the one to whom we pray, which means you don't need a pastor necessarily to pray over you. You could have other people around you pray over you and experience the same power of Almighty God. But listen, I also know this. I know there are some of you, and you need, you have a unique need for healing. So we are going to, in obedience to the book of James chapter 5, like we talked about a few weeks ago, we have, we have anointing oil. And there will be some pastors up here who are ready to anoint you with oil and pray over you. Listen, there's nothing weird about it. it's olive oil. All right, it's not, it's not anything strange and unusual. But the, the Bible, for whatever reason, tells us, I believe it's a sign of the Holy Spirit, tells us to anoint, to have the elders anoint someone who's sick with oil and pray over them so they can be healed. And so just in obedience to what James 5 says, we're going to do that. So if you need that kind of prayer, there are going to be pastors who are down front. Also, let me say this. If, as I was talking earlier about the broken light bulb, the one that doesn't work, you've prayed and prayed, but you've never seen the power of God. It will not happen until you humble yourself enough to say, God, I have never come to faith in Jesus Christ. I I know about Jesus, but I've never asked him to restore me, to redeem me, to save me, to change my heart. Well, salvation can be yours today. All you have to do is tell the Lord you're sorry for your sin and ask him to forgive you and to take over your life. And we would love as the pastors of this church to help you take that step of faith this morning. There are some of you that God has prepared for this moment. Even if you're watching online, there's some of you got us prepared for this moment. And you want to respond, you can. So if you're watching online, you just, you just let us know. You text the word "next step" to 94253. You let a pastor know, they'll reach out to you very quickly. But if you're in the room, then you can respond over here. One of the pastors will be down front. Again, if you're saying, I just, I just need the people around me to pray for me, then you have a chance to stand. We're not going to sing a song before I lead us in the taking of the Lord's Supper. We're just going to have a chance to have some ministry taking place. So I want to encourage you right now. If you have need for prayer in this room and you're willing to say, I'm helpless enough to ask the people around me to join their faith with me, to pray over me, I want to encourage you to stand up. And then the people around you can pray for you. If you need to come down to talk to one of the pastors, pastors, make your way down to the front, and we're going to be ready to anoint with oil and pray over you. If you need to talk to us about what it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ, You can come down front. Listen, if you just need to get on your face down front, you don't need to talk to anybody else, but you want to be you alone with God, if you need to turn around in your chair and get down on your knees right where you're at, you can do that as well. But the Lord is saying, if you're ready to to connect to the power source, the power source is ready to meet with you. So I want to encourage you to come, respond as you need to, stand up where you are, and then the people around you can pray over you. But now's the time. Let's let this ministry happen.